Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. We've been in this series the last couple of weeks on the book of Philippians, and uh, I'm so glad that you've joined us for this. Uh, Paul the Apostle is going to talk about unity, and I've titled this sermon, Unity Through Humility. Unity through humility. You know, unity is so critical for the church that when a church has unity, there's power really to overcome every single problem. Amen? And on the one hand, when a church has disunity, a small speed bump will stop a church. You ever realize that? Even in your own life, that when there's disunity, if that's at your home or in your workplace, you know, when there's not unity, it's just a small speed bump. It kind of brings it all to a screeching halt. There's a problem in that. So today, I just want to talk to you as your pastor, just as we look at this word to the book and then to the Philippian believers, that you and I would have a heart of unity. My heart as a pastor is that this church would be unified. Amen? More importantly than me is that God wants this church, that he sent his son to die for to have unity, and we need to guard unity at every turn. Amen? We need to do that, not only here, we need to do that in our home, we need to do that at our workplace, at school, on our campus, and so I'm thankful that we desire to walk in unity, and because that is what pleases the heart of God. One heart and one mind is unity, and Scripture tells us to make it a priority to keep the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The way that you and I have unity is that there's something that holds us together, and that is peace. Because peace is a bond. So whatever you have to do to foster unity in the church, do it. Do it. Do it. If it means going and asking for forgiveness or forgiving somebody, do that. Whoever you don't like in the church, you better start liking them so that we can have unity in the church. Can I hear an amen? Right? Get in agreement so that we can have unity. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul gives us the motive, then he's going to give us, verse 2 through 4, the means, how to live it out. What would motivate us to be people that are unified? Well, we would say, yes, the blessings of God, yes, the anointing of the Lord are God's very best, but Paul is going to appeal to a higher motive. He appeals to a higher motive, and he says, I'm asking you to commit to unity, and he says, here's why, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ of any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And this is called, inside of this passage, a first-class conditional clause. It reads like this, if you look in the original, if any, and you have, and you do, if you have any encouragement, and you do, if you have any comfort from his love, and you do, if you have any fellowship with his Spirit, and you do, is the way that you should read this because that's how it was meant and it was set up. Because you have this or this, since we do, we have four things we have in gratitude for God. It's by saying, you know what? It's because I have this, the least I can do is what you prayed for. Father, let them be one even as you and I are one in John 17. That's what he's saying. If there is disunity and division in your human body, guess what? You're sick. If it gets really bad, you die, right? Things that are opposition. 
The same is true for the church. If you have any division in a church and disunity in the church, the church is sick. If it goes on long enough, the church dies. That's the same thing that can happen in your marriage, right? If you continue to allow the disunity to happen inside of that unhealth, what happens is it breaks down, it atrophies, and you die. The church is the body of Christ, amen? And you and I are called to be a visible interpretation of God on the earth. We want to be strong. We want to be healthy. We want to be vibrant for his sake. Also, comfort from his love is what he says. This is any affirmation. Have you ever been in a service or maybe you've been at home in your prayer time or been just listening to worship music or just reading your Bible and it felt so overwhelmed with the love that God has for you? I mean, have you ever had that happen to you? I have. You've sensed that. He loves you so much. And uh, he says, because of that, and you understand that, that is why I want you to have unity. That's a good reason. And then he says, fellowship with the Spirit. It is doing life in the Spirit. You and I are called to do life in the Spirit all the time. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Spirit draws us to Jesus. How many of you know that? The Holy Spirit always draws you and me to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is working in you. He's doing life with you. And if you've experienced that at all, he's saying then the least you can do is give yourself to unity. Give yourself to that. Then he talks about tenderness and compassion. That's the feeling that the Lord has for you. Do you know that God has feelings for you? Feelings of tenderness and feelings of compassion, right? I mean, have you ever had bad news and your stomach was just turned and twisted because maybe something out of your control and you know your stomach was just like, oh man, I don't feel good about that. But what he's saying here, this is the whole idea internally that's happened through this word compassion that he feels for us deeply. He loves us deeply. He cares for us deeply. There is tenderness and compassion that he has for you and for me today no matter what we're going through, it's that idea. And if you've ever felt the intensity of God's love for you, you know if grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's mercy. Then give yourself, he said, because of those things, because I have done those for you, he says, I want you to walk in unity. How do we fulfill? Verse two, he says, fulfill my joy by being what? Like-minded. How big of a deal is this for Paul? Well, listen, outside of salvation, that's the number one thing that Paul talks about through all of his writings is salvation. He speaks about unity more than any other topic. He talks about it in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, So let's contribute to unity together. This is an attitude where everybody is headed, excuse me, in the same direction. I'm not talking about a cult here, right? I'm not talking about controlling, but it's embracing the same thing. Find a church where you should be a part of where you are like-minded. Amen? I hope it's here. But, But you're saying, you know, I'm in love with it and I love it. How many of you have a perfect marriage? I just want to step back and just take a look at that. We had a few people in the first service raise their hands, and I did call them liars. <laughs> I did, because, right, a perfect marriage, right? There may be some things 
that you won't be able to change inside of your spouse, but it's worth staying married and in love. There may be some things that will change, and that's good. Paul isn't arguing for harmony and unity at all costs, though. Do you know that? Truth isn't to be compromised in the name of harmony, but neither is truth set forth to the exclusion of love. As you're watching football today or watching yesterday, you realize that a team, football team, is unified not because every player plays the same position, right? That would be uniformity. A football team is unified because they are operating in harmony to reach the same goal line. That's what it means. He says, having the same love. You know this, that the only way we can have the same love is if we have whose love? That's right. Not a trick question. It's his love, God's love. God knew we were in trouble without Jesus Christ, and he loved us enough to meet our eternal need. We are called to love people, forgive people, tender-hearted toward people, and maybe you're saying, man, I'm having a real difficult time loving somebody. Maybe you should pray today, God, help me to love that person. God, help me. Help me. Give me the strength to love that person in the way that you would love them, even though it's very, very difficult. Being of one accord and of one mind, he says in verse 2, we're headed in the same direction. You know, in the upper room, they had the same spiritual temperature. That's what he's talking about, one accord. He's saying inside of that, in in Acts chapter 2, he says this, he says they were in one accord, right? And God came and did amazing things in the upper, upper room. His Holy Spirit came. Why? Because they are of the same spiritual temperature. Listen, when you have a church operating in the same spiritual temperature, you, God can perform anything he wants to do inside of there. Amen? The same thing goes for your home and your marriage with your kids, that you have the same spiritual temperature in one direction. Preach the gospel to reach the lost. That is our heart. Here, Clearbrook, surrounding areas. So he says, be of one accord, be of one mind. Then verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Be careful, I just want to put this out there in this, be careful serving in church for what you get out of it. It should be joyful. Yes, it should feel good to serve, but it's not done for you to look good. There should be the right motive in our heart, amen? But in humility, consider others as better than yourselves. All of us in this room have gifts. All of us have been given a gift, right? And he says, listen, you've been given that. Let's consider others as better than ourselves. Verse four, let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Walk in humility. I don't know about you, but I can say in my own life, I am the worst sinner I know. Can you say it about yourself? Rather than pointing somebody else out and saying, they are the worst sinner. Just turn it right around. Right? The good news is, though, is Christ died for us to change that dynamic. If there's anyone who's taught us about humility, it is Jesus. In verses 5 through 11, we see that Jesus shows us that unity comes through humility. In in this portion that I'm about ready to go into here that the Apostle Paul talks to us about is some of the most profound scripture verses in all the Bible. Like if the word of God is a mountain range, then what we're about ready to read in these verses is Mount Everest. It's profound and powerful truth to our lives. It is really a hymn of praise. It's set off in this like a poem. 
It tells us about who Jesus is and it tells us about what he did for us. That he is God, that he is God incarnate, that he became a man and he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead and he will be exalted forevermore, amen? Paul's been talking to the Philippian believers about their attitude. And he wants to deal with their attitude as he wants to speak to us today. God does do the work of his spirit about our attitude. And he says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Romans says as Christians, when Jesus died, we died, right? When he was buried, we were buried. When he was raised to new life, we were raised to new life. What happened to him happened to us. Since we are in Christ, the Apostle Paul saying, you should begin to think like Christ. Let his thinking be reflected in your living. That every day, I'm sure that we go through things and we probably have our carnal mind that comes into play, like what I would do when somebody cuts me off or does something, right? You go through that in your mind. Oh, I'm the only one? Okay, then I am the only Yeah, some of you are looking at me. Well, you're, no, you do it too. But this, that you're saying, you know what? Okay, what is the mind of Christ in this situation? And when I'm driving and I get upset, my wife is also a faithful advocate to help me in those moments. Don't get too upset. Settle down. Our wives are good for that, amen, to help us in those situations, right? I need the mind of Christ in this situation. I need the mind of Christ right now to deal with what I'm going through. And this is what Paul says. Listen, if we're Christians, then the thinking of Christ should be our thoughts as well. His thoughts are our thoughts. And so this is the poem designed to change the way our thinking goes. Remember in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Today, are you tired and burdened? As you come into this room, are you tired of living apart from him? I mean, are you tired of trying to make things happen on your own? Are you tired of trying to carry the, the weight of life today? And Jesus says, listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. What is the word gentle? That is strength, his strength. He says, I have strength under control. That is what I get, gentleness, when I have his mind. And he says, in humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. Jesus says, I'm humble. And this gives us the scope of his humility. And I want to look at three areas in the remaining portion of our time together, three areas of Christ's humility inside of this passage. Let me tell you, this passage is so power-packed. I'm barely going to be able to scratch the surface in this, but I want to encourage you. You could take these scripture verses apart day by day this week as you dig into them and understand what he is really saying in this, that he's talking about three things in these portions of scripture, his humility in heaven, his humility in becoming a man, and then we're going to see his humility in death, and the result is God exalts Jesus. The first is his humility in heaven, verse six. Who being in the very nature, and the word nature is morphe in its essence. It has more to do with what's inside than outside. And we live in a world today that you and I know that it only matters what's going on the outside of your life. 
that people many times just look at us on the outside and we make decisions and judgment calls when people look at you or when you look at somebody else because that is how our world is made up. But Jesus says, no, the essence on the inside, there is a change, there is a morphine, it is morphine inside of him that who being in the very nature God Jesus is God, completely God, totally God, co-equal, co-existent. You were created by him. You were created for him. And without him, you and I could not exist. He created everything. He is before all things. There is no one that came before him. In the beginning, there was God. He was the one that showed up. He is God. And everything else is held together by him today. Do you ever wonder why this world is still being held together? It's because of God. Even as crazy as things seem, it's because God is holding things together. Scientists talk about the nuclear strong force. Have you ever heard that? You can have positively charged particles in the nucleus of an atom, and yet when you put the two poles together, when they positively are charged, they repel and yet an atom doesn't blow apart? What is it that holds it together? Scientists don't even know. They call it nuclear strong force. It's God that holds everything together today. And according to 2 Peter, someday he's gonna let go of it all, and it will be consumed with fire in preparation for a new heaven and a new earth. Everything is being held together today, friends, in your life and in my life, because God is God, and it's who he is. And this is what he is saying. No matter what you are going through, you're probably wondering today, I don't even know how things in my world are still staying together. It's because God is God, and it's who he is. And it's what he has been called to do, that he was the first. Verse six, who being in very nature God, it's not a second class God, lesser God. God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This is saying he didn't run around saying to God, I'm equal to you. I'm equal. I'm equal. No. I I don't want to go to earth. You go to earth. No, he didn't say that. You you want them saved so bad? You want them to be their dad? You want to be their daddy? You go. No. Doesn't even enter his mind. Doesn't even enter the mind of Christ. That's not who he was. Think about that as the things that you were going through this week or, or today that we need to have the mind of Christ. How do we think like Christ in light of what we're reading? That's a great way to read scripture. How do we think like Christ in the light of what I am reading now? It's, it's saying, when you and I think like Christ, when we come to a place of humility, the life is no longer about our position. Life is about our posture. We're singing, I exalt you today. The posture of our hearts is, Lord, we bow down before you. We bow down. It's not about position. It's about my posture. It's about how you and I are going to serve the Lord by serving one another. That we're no longer worrying, well, do I have to serve them or should I even serve them? That never entered the mind of Jesus ever. He saw the need and he served them because he loved them. Remember the disciples at the Last Supper? Nobody wanted to serve anybody and Jesus takes the basin, takes the towel, and he starts moving around the table. And he says, I, I, your leader, I'm doing this, and you see this, and you should treat one another this way as well. This is humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, C.S. Lewis said. That I'm not going to worry about who's in charge. I'm not going to worry about who gets the credit, who's above me, who's below me, who's beside me, or whatever. But it's all for the glory of God the Father that I am going to do that. That is thinking like Jesus. 
That is a real, true, and pure motive of our heart. I don't have to have my name on it to get the credit because it's about the Lord in the first place. Then we learn a second thing. Thinking like Jesus, we see his humility in becoming a man. Look at verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. This is literally, if you dig into this, he emptied himself out, and it is a mystery, without compromising or forfeiting the deity, he emptied out his deity. He was God, but he was man. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. He was both. It is a mystery. Maybe a better way to understand that is, is this. He set aside the prerogatives of divine power. The God of the universe, John chapter 1 says, he came to his own things, people, right? He's not talking about these objects out there. He's talking about us, humanity. The God of the universe came to his own. He came to earth, and when he walks on the earth, as Jesus, he sees the Sea of Galilee and says, just like I created it. He sees humanity. He created us. He came to his own things, the Bible says, and his own things received him not. Think about that. He gave up so much for you and me. Well, like what? Well, he gave up his glory. That's for sure. He set aside his splendor and his reputation to come and save you and me. Because why? Because he absolutely loves us. The word became flesh. The glory of God covered with a human body. It's why he got up in the morning to pray with his father. Why? Because he missed him. He needed to connect in intimacy with the Father. He's now down here on the earth. He's not in heaven any longer. He needed that communion, that, that harmony that's undiminished by the created world, perfect fellowship with the Father that he craved and needed that. He has a human body. He falls asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. How tired do you have to be to do that? In the middle of a storm, right? We're not talking about the carriers we have now, these ships we have now right? It was primitive. He thirsts. He hungers. He weeps. He gave up his independent authority. He said, by myself, I can do nothing. That he never did anything on his own power. Whether he was healing somebody, restoring them, raising the dead, it was all with the Father's help. He learned obedience by what he suffered. He was empowered by the things he did through the Holy Spirit. He gave up his eternal riches. He was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. I don't know whether you thought about this, but Jesus borrowed everything. He borrowed a stable to be born in. He borrowed a boat to preach in. He borrowed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. He borrowed a tomb to be buried in. He had nothing, and the one who owned everything in life possessed nothing. A disciple came to him and says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus said, well, wait, wait, time out just a minute. Let me tell you how I roll. Birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He set aside all of that for you and me. Man, what does this have to say to us about the love of God? I don't even know if you can put it in words. But sometimes we come, we're, you know, a few months, we're going to celebrate Christmas, we're going to come, and all the things that go with it. But many times, I think we miss and need to come back to this scripture verse to really realize how much he gave up for you and me. It's more than just some cute story in some little book. 
It's what he gave up for you and me. Taking the nature of a servant. Verse 6, he took the nature of God. Now he's the essence of a servant. He's not pretending. That's what he's saying. I'm not, I'm not pretending. This is who I am. This is what I've been called to do. And coming in the likeness of men. People really thought he was a man, and he was so identified with humanity that he was teaching. And while he was teaching, they took up rocks to stone him. John 8, John 10. He asked, what are you stoning me for? Because you, being a man, make yourself equal to God. His humanity was so real that they really thought he was a man. He knows what it is to hunger. He knows what it is to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to have people turn on you. And he knows what it's like to love people and not have them love you back. How, in you, how do you and I think like Christ? How do you and I think? We think like Christ when we're willing to serve and make it a part of who we are. Are you a real servant? Do you serve when it's convenient? Or do you serve for a season? Or do you serve because you have the same mind of Christ and you do it because you love him? The kingdom of heaven is not the same as the Social Security Administration. Praise God for that. Amen. Right? Praise the Lord. You're a servant when you see a need and you serve that need. I mean, that's all that it takes, right? Serving's not that hard. I see the need, I serve the need. I see that they need help, I'm gonna jump in and do that. I mean, if you only feel like you feel like what, what, doing when you wanna do it, it's not really having a servant's heart. Jesus said, no, he came into cities and went to the people that were hurting the most. He came into areas and he just took time and he loved on them and listened to their heart and gave them food and multiplied it and, and healed many. Jesus served all the time. Third, Christ's humility and death. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You know, the greatest mark of humility is obedience. That's the greatest mark. Jesus didn't want to die, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, he gave up his will for the Father's will. So much anguish that was in his life, in that moment, in his spirit, that he burst the capillaries in his head. The one who had never, ever knew sin would take the weight of sin, our sin, upon himself in that moment. You realize the gravity that there is humility in Christ through what he went through in his death and his obedience. So many times we want our way rather than God's way. But humility is when you and I say, God, I, I want what you want for my life. That's as easy as it is. God, humility, I want what you want for my life. And I don't want anything in my life that you don't want. I want what you want. I'm going to get rid of the things that you don't like and don't want in my life. Obedience is doing God's will even when you don't want to. And I said this in the first service because I feel very strongly about this and I was very passionate, is this area that I believe that there are people that God is speaking to right now in this moment, here, sound of my voice, wherever, that God is asking you to be obedient to something that you have continued to reject him and his call for you to be obedient on and surrender. 
And I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts today to, to give that thing up, or maybe it's a number of things. I don't, I'm not sure what it is, but you would in this moment just make an altar where you're at and say, I'm going to give this up and I'm gonna be obedient. I, I, would, I would tell you this, probably every person in this room can give one thing up, what God is saying. If not many things up to be obedient, to truly have the mind of Christ, right? To be, have the mind of Christ, I gotta get rid of some stuff, right? I can't have the mind of Christ when I got my stuff and my mind and and my carnal spirit inside of me. But God, I will humble myself before you and say, yes, Lord, what you are asking me to give up right now, I will do it. Quick response to his word. And then we see his exaltation. Verses nine to 11, therefore God exalted who? Him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Christ humility led to his exaltation. What is the name that is above every name? That's right. Jesus is the name. He said, I've given you the name that is above every single other name on planet earth. It is the highest name. It's the name Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the Lord he is the keeper. He is the I am in the Old Testament, the one, the one who always kept his word for us. He is the Lord, and he will be exalted forevermore. What this is saying is, you know, we don't have to push and shove, you know, if I do this, maybe I get this. All you have to do is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God today. First Peter chapter 5, humble yourself so that he may exalt you. Take on the posture. Don't be concerned with your position. Take on the posture of humility. And he says, if you will do that, I will exalt you. I will take you to places you never thought you could go. There will come a day when all of humanity will bow before him and declare, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Can you say that today in your heart? Is that... Is that your heart? Jesus, your Lord. To the glory of the Father, you are truly Lord. And lordship is a mindset. How many of you know that? Right? Lordship just isn't a title. Lordship is a mindset inside of it, of humility. You are my Lord. You are my leader. And I prioritize that above everything else in my heart today. When you're the leader and when you're the Lord, everything else has got to change inside of me so that I can have the mind of Christ, that we would have Christ thoughts in us. And the church needs this. We all need this more than ever before, that our hearts would be unified. We're going for the same direction as we preach the word, as we exalt Jesus Christ to reach others that are around us that are lost, that feel hopeless today. The church needs to be unified. Your marriage needs to be unified, sir or ma'am. To have the mind of Christ today, if there's disunity in your home, with your kids, with your spouse, there needs to be unity. God wants there to be unity. Well, how do I get unity? You gotta have the mind of Christ. That it's not just about me and my selfishness and what I want, right? 
getting really quiet in here. In our home, kids, students with your parents, God wants you to have unity, oneness. Even though you think the most important thing is is for you to have your way, God has a better plan as you come underneath their authority. Amen? We are under his authority, so may the mind of Christ be in us. No, not just outward. Anybody looks good on the outside. He's, Jesus says, no, it's in essence. It's what's happened in my heart. It's what happened, has happened in my life. I, I, I truly have changed. And let me tell you something. When the inside's right, the outside's right. Amen? When the inside's right with God, the outside's right with God. So whatever is trying to come and tear you apart, whatever is trying to come and twist you up today, whatever, whatever disunity that you are feeling inside of you, God wants to heal that area and restore you today. In the name of Jesus, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word that God is beyond my comprehension. I only understand bits and pieces of this because it is so vast. And to understand it would discredit your deity and your humanity. Lord, that it is a mystery. And God, we've come that today, as the Apostle Paul speaks to this church in Philippi, it speaks to Abundant Life Church today. That we would have the mind of Christ the Lord, as I even spoke this to the first service today, I just believe right now in this moment, the Lord, so strongly that there are people here that God have been holding on to things, a mindset that, that's not of you, a, a, a disunity that even in the physical body has worked itself out into the spiritual realm. And so they're disunified with everything else around them, with their spouse or with you or, or even with their own heart, God, today, that you are able to heal that and make it right in this moment so that God you would heal us. Heal us as your people that are desperately in need. Heal us in our marriages, God, so there, there would not be disunity in our homes, that the enemy is a liar to come and steal and kill, destroy these things from us, our, our relationships, our children, Lord God, people in our workplace, people in our community, our next door neighbor, God, that you would heal any rift, any problem, Lord God, but first of all, we would be settled inside of our spirits today, and we would have peace, and we should fight and strive for unity, through the bond of peace today. God, let there be peace in our heart. Peace in our heart because you've loved us. You have a tenderness and compassion for us today. Father, I thank you for that. And in this moment, as your heads are bowed and eyes closed, I just want you, this, this moment, you've just said, there is something that God has asked me to give up before. I have not, but today... I'm going to give it up. Today, I'm going to be obedient. Today, I'm going to do the Lord's will. Today, I'm going to walk out of here a free person because I'm not going to keep living in my own carnal mindset, but I have the mind of Christ. Can I see your hand? Come on. See many hands in this place that are being raised that you're asking God to come. Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised right now where your spirit is convincing and convicting. Lord, that we will not go back. We will obey. We will submit. We will yield, Lord. 
God, because your love is in our heart. Because you loved us first. Father, I thank you for this, and I thank you, Lord, for this word today to our lives, that, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can call you Lord. We can call you Savior. And that we would just come with a posture of humility, Lord, for you to do a work in us today, starting today, continuing today, through us today, out of us this week, Lord Jesus, that we are right with you so that we can be right with everything else around us. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Lord, take every bit of turmoil, turmoil, Lord, pain today, Lord, that you would absorb it even now in the name of Jesus. Called us to come to you, come to you. All those are weary and heavy laden. And you will give us rest. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.